0: podcast where we start with a random article explore it and then follow the links and see where it takes us john what is your random article today
1: (laughs) finally wikipedia has smiled upon me St. Louis, San Francisco Railway 1630. Mm. Better known as the Frisco 1630. It is a 2100 0 Decapod steam locomotive. Nice. Eyebrow raise.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to say that you will... We will choose that article of this time. Of course we
1: will. It's trains.
0: <laughs> they just for... <laughs> Just for whatever, my article is Kuriakos and Julieta.
1: Oh, what is that, though?
0: Um, Julieta and her son, Kuriakos, were martyred in AD 304 in Tarsus, according to Christian tradition. So it's just a couple of martyrs that I've never heard of.
1: Okay, well, (laughs) I'm glad that their sacrifice meant something. So Wikipedia, (laughs) at least. Um you know, but we have this train to talk about, so yeah. let's talk about that. Instead.
0: I believe trains are a little more important yes. Than martyrs of yes. early ADs. Let's see, so this is a San Fran.
1: I mean, if you think about it, steam locomotives are mar- martyrs too. <laughs> if you really like put your mind to it, because I mean, like they really like they were noble and they laid themselves di- down to die to be recycled <laughs> as scrap for other
0: other locomotives after them. Okay, so what what is the...
1: Uh, it is Saint SD period underscore Lewis dash San underscore Francisco underscore Railway underscore 1630. All right. Return key. 1630. It's not made in 1630, though. It's just the number of the Frisco. Good old Frisco. Frisco burger. Mmm. Frisco burger from Hardee's. Ooh,
0: because there is a... One without the 1630. Wait, what? So. Hang on. (laughs) Is it just the railway, though? I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's about the railway. This is about a locomotive. locomotive, A specific locomotive.
0: Right, 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 right. This thing looks pretty cool. It
1: does, it does. Of course,
0: it is a train, so naturally.
1: (laughs) Steam locomotives just have this aura about them that makes Hmm. all of them inherently cool. There's just
0: so many little. Gadgets and gizmos and studs and bolts and and deep down,
1: you know that with all of that stuff on there, nobody thought this thing through even a little bit. And (laughs) almost none of that, probably about half, wouldn't have been necessary if somebody had thought about most of
0: those things just a little bit more. Yeah. But that's what makes that's what makes it great. But they got it working and they were like it's working. Nobody touch it.
1: <laughs> Nobody touch it. Just get in. <laughs> let's ride. Let's train. And that's the way it was for hundreds of years. Ah. Uh, okay. A little bit of history about this loco. It was built in 1918 by the Baldwin Locomotive Works for use in Russia huh. as a class ye. ye, ye <laughs> locomotive. However, it, along with approximately 200 other locomotives, mm. Remained in the United States due to the inability of the Bolshevik government to pay for them. <laughs> following the Russian Revolution, 1630 was then converted from a 5 foot Russian track gauge to a 4 foot 8.5 inch standard gauge, and the St. Louis San Francisco Railway used it as a mixed traffic engine.
0: Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how they would have transported a train. Because the trains
1: are what <laughs> get you to places at that point in time. Yeah. So how many trains does it take to pull a load of trains? <laughs> and then when you get them to a place, do you just have more trains take maybe, the trains? Maybe you have a train.
0: Right. All of the cars are just flatbeds. Okay. And you put the train on top of all the flatbeds. Gotcha. So then you have the one train carrying the other train. Right. But the-
1: what happens if you take the train with the flatbeds of trains mm-hmm. and you take it to the port and the trains go into into the boat. Mm -hmm. And they go over to the country that doesn't make trains to go where? How do they get picked up from Mm. the boat? Do they go... There's no (laughs) other train
0: for them to go onto.
1: That's true. There has to be a first train. If
0: they need the train, they're not going to already have a train. Right. So how... Maybe they just... Fire it up and just like ramp it. it, Just push it on. Maybe there's track on the boat. Right. And then... They push the boat right up against the track that's on the land, yeah. and then they just ease it on over.
1: Yeah, I, they would have to, but like then something like that. You
0: run into the problem of okay. having track that runs directly into water, so maybe <laughs> if it's going the other way it would just run right off the track into the water. So that could be a problem, and I doubt that's really how it
1: happens. No, I mean, probably not. They probably have, like, good, legitimate ports that they deliver (laughs) these things at, and that's how they're able to get it done without the locomotives falling into the ocean. (laughs) But (laughs) I I wouldn't doubt there are a few locomotives that just kind of, like, accidentally fell off the track on the way off the boat and, like, just ended up in the bottom of a harbor somewhere, too. That'd be interesting to see. I I could really, like... I wish there was an article on train locomotives that accidentally fell into harbors. There had to have been some. Like, everybody wanted a locomotive. Not everybody could make a locomotive. There were a lot of these things shelled out. We were just throwing locomotives all over the place. So, you know. Anyway. Uh... In 1965, after a couple of sales and transactions of this loco, it was donated to the Illinois Railway Museum in Union, Illinois, where it began operating in 1973, but it was taken out of service in 2004, after uh, and after more than six years undergoing repairs and a federally mandated rebuild, uh, it returned to operational condition... In twenty thirteen. Wow. You can't kill this thing. When you try to kill it, the federal government comes <laughs> to you and says you're gonna make it better.
0: Listen, you're gonna rebuild this thing <laughs> Why? instead of building a new thing. But it's a steam locomotive. <laughs> Why do you care? Because it's awesome. Uh, and I mean it, it deserves your respect. Okay. We'll do it.
1: <laughs> I guess if we have to. Sure. Federally mandated <laughs> rebuild. Nice. Nice. Okay, well, from here we have a lot of options. Unsurprisingly, they're centrifuged around either railroading or communism. <laughs> so, um,
0: Well, there is a link to Baldwin Locomotive Works, so we could see if they've built any other and maybe
1: chains. Maybe if we go there, we can see the shipping process and how oh. they managed to get the, 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 the boats... Full of the trains and then okay. got the trains on and off the boats, and whether or not the trains fell into the harbors. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. All right, well, let's see. Baldwin Locomotive Works. Nice Philly. Yeah. There we go. Near, it moved nearby Eddystone, Pennsylvania. Ooh, largest producer of steam locomotives.
1: Oh, nice bragging rights Until the diesel en- engine came along And then they kind of messed up a little <laughs> bit
0: Yeah, stopped producing locomotives in 1956 But they had a good run And then went out of business in 1972 So what did they do for like 15 years?
1: <laughs> they stopped doing what they do And they were still a business did
0: <laughs> okay well, it says they produced over 70,000 locomotives, which is a hell of a lot of... <laughs> yeah,
1: that is hell on wheels ca- right there. I can't
0: even imagine Woo! that many trains existing. Yeah. Because that's... <laughs> this is one manufacturer, too. One. They are the largest manufacturer of them. True, true. But like that's just steam locomotives, too. Right. So... Yeah, maybe they just had, like, 20,000 locomotives sitting around after they'd stopped, and they were like, listen, we got to stop making these things because we have so many laying around here. Like, we nobody wants it. these. Just got like, they're like the Blackberry.
1: They just had a bunch of locomotives <laughs> just hanging out. Where are we, we going to put them all? I don't know. All of Philadelphia is just full of locomotives. There's no room for houses anymore.
0: That'd be an interesting town. It would just be. Just all trains. Train town. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No houses, just tracks and trains.
1: (laughs) We kept building, assuming they were going to keep buying, and we didn't know when to stop. Well, weirdly enough, the Baldwin Locomotive Works started with this guy by the name of Matt Baldwin, who was a jeweler. Uh, He formed a partnership in 1825 with a machinist to uh, manufacture bookbinders, tools, and cylinders for printing. Okay. So.
0: And bingo bango, they built a steam locomotive. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Somehow that, that just ramped right up into that. Uh, uh,
1: basically, Baldwin designed a, a stationary engine for his own use, but apparently it was such a great thing that he made that everybody was like. Yo, you should just make more steam locomotives, dude. Like, more steam engines. Just do it. Uh, and so he was like, okay. Uh, and that original steam engine is actually on an exhibition in the Smithsonian
0: now. Oh, yeah. nice. Oh, okay. So in 1831, uh, at the, at the request of the Philadelphia Museum, he built a miniature locomotive for exhibition. And it was such a success that um, we got an order from a railway company for a locomotive to run on a short line to the suburbs of Philadelphia. Interesting. Now, by, by miniature locomotive, does it mean like one of those little kiddie rides, or does it mean a model train?
1: No, it means like a miniature-sized locomotive. And the reason I know this is the next sentence down. It says that the Camden and Amboy Railroad Company, or the CNA, had shortly before imported a locomotive from England, which it says in parentheses is called the John Bull.
0: Mm. I have
1: touched the John Bull.
0: Oh. It is in
1: Strasburg, PA. <laughs> it is made partially of wood and nice. partially of metal, and it is um, a very small locomotive because it's hmm. the, one of the oldest ones that we have in our possession here in the United States. And, uh, It's not, like, super miniature. Like, it's not, like, amusement Mm park-sized, but it's kind of, like, this weird medium-sized locomotive in between, like, the big ones that you're used to seeing Uh, and then, like, the kitty sized ones. (laughs) Like, it's, like, literally smack dab in the middle size-wise. Very, very tiny, but definitely the same shape. Not like like a Thomas the Tank Engine type thing. It still looks like a normal steam engine. (laughs) Just kind of weirdly small. Petite, if you will. Okay. Oh, hang on. Completing that sentence I started about John Bull, it says that when they imported the John Bull from England, it was stored in Bordentown, New Jersey. It had not yet been assembled. So that's what they did. Uh, At least initially, they just sent a whole bunch of parts and said,
0: "Eh, figure (laughs) it out yourself. They do a little instruction manual.
1: <laughs> instruction Like I just see the IKEA guy, the happy IKEA man, like saying, Okay, with no words, you make sure you have these tools. Make sure you have a friend to help you assemble the assemble it. I mean, come on, assembling a steam engine, are you serious? But that's what they wanted to do, and that's what that's what this Baldwin guy did. He he showed up. He figured out the dimensions that are required and he went about his task and he assembled that thing by gum because, boy, is it still here.
0: <laughs>
1: it's doing fine. Oh, actually, looks like John Bull has been moved. Stolen by the Smithsonian. <laughs> it was not Strasbourg for a very long time, though. I remember seeing it. Hmm. Wow. So, creating the first locomotive, even just assembling the John Bull... ...was super, super difficult. Um, It says that the difficulties of doing it... ...were so bad that they are not easily understood by present-day mechanics. (laughs) Uh, Modern machine tools didn't exist. The cylinders that they used for the engine... ...were bored by a chisel fixed in a block of wood... ...and turned by hand. And the workman that Baldwin was using had to be taught how to do nearly all the work Baldwin himself basically made the engine mostly by his own hand because there weren't tools and there were not people who were knowledgeable he was the guy that was it even so he created his own locomotive by the name of Old Ironsides uh, completed and tried on the Philadelphia Germantown and Norriston Railroad in 1832 did duty for over 20 years. It was a four-wheeled engine, weighing a little over five tons. Uh, Driving wheels were 54 inches in diameter. (laughs) Cylinders were 9.5 inches. And the wheels were of heavy cast-iron hubs with wooden spokes and
0: rims. Apparently he struggled to survive the panic of 1837. What panic? Panic what? Which uh, production fell from 40 locomotives in 1837 to just nine in 1840. And the company was heavily in debt. And so to survive, they took on two partners, George Vale and George Hufty. And then the partnerships were short-lived, but they helped... Pull him through the hard economic times although it doesn't really actually say what the panic of 1837 was
1: i'm gonna go ahead and guess i'm gonna say it was some sort of weird economic thing Hmm.
0: because the great depression or something yeah something along
1: those lines because why else would locomotive production just be like nah (laughs) we're we're done we don't want more we don't need more locomotives Baldwin probably was, like, mad panicking. He was like, but my company has another uh, 69,963 locomotives to produce. You can't just stop buying them.
0: So, there was a um, newspaper manufacturer um, was called the Railroad Advocate. Um, but the guy by the name of Zara Colburn just basically pumped out this paper and was just praising Baldwin's work in it. That's nice.
1: It's a nice thing for somebody to do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> of course, one of the main
1: things that was really a big... Uh, uh, that really stoked the fires of Baldwin's business was the build-up to the Civil War. Uh, it seems as though... Uh, that prior to the start of the conflict Baldwin had uh, great dependence on southern railways as its primary market in 1860, nearly 80% of Baldwin's output went to carriers in states that would soon secede from the (sighs) union they were stocking up they were getting their locomotives brand new (laughs) bring them all in they were getting ready as a result, though, in 1861, production fell 50% compared to the previous year. Hmm. But it didn't matter because as soon as the Civil War started, the U.S. military and the Pennsylvania Railroad, which saw its traffic soar, uh, had to have uh, Baldwin produce more than 100 engines between 1861
0: and 1865 hmm. for the Civil War. Oh. And so... I get... I guess, yeah, I mean, he's producing, like, 41 year, 100 another year, mm-hmm. eventually gets up to 70,000, it seems like,
1: <laughs> eh, like like, it, there had to be a huge jump somewhere,
0: yeah, and I guess he probably died before that number came, cause, I mean,
1: it had to, have. I mean, yeah, Something had to change around the time he died because if you look to the right, mm-hmm. there is a picture of the Baldwin Locomotive Works, and honestly, it looks like a Pet Boys full of locomotives. <laughs> there's like nine bays for locomotives to be built, and that's it. And there's like a lift that one of them's up on. <laughs> like it literally looks like the Pet Boys of steam steam engines. Yeah. And it does say that eventually they left that shop. That shop was on Broad Street in Philadelphia. It was only uh. 196 acres was the total space of it, or 0.79 kilometers. But for locomotives, for steam locomotives, that's cramped. Yeah. That's a tiny, tiny area to work with for such big critters. Mm-hmm. So he uh, began to incrementally shift production to a 616 acre factory no, located in shabby. Eddystone, as you had mentioned earlier. Even with their manufacturing facilities being in the downtown of Philadelphia, it was huge. It was a huge complex that occupied eight square city blocks from Broad to 18th Streets.
0: That is a and, lot of blocks.
1: Yeah. That's huge. You wouldn't see any factory or manufacturing place occupy that Mm-mm. much like ground space in a city today. <laughs> that's nuts. And here we go. Eddystone, once they started doing that, 3,000 locomotives per year uh, That's where they started to really ramp it up
0: Yeah, well I guess if they have more space they can do more For sure It looks like after World War One is when it started to decline because that's kind of around the time that the, the diesel engine was introduced Ooh, there's a picture over on the side here of California Western Railroad number 45 and it looks real pretty.
1: It's just a nice photo. Just a lot of good contrast going on there.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a nice looking train. Mhm.
1: Says it's a Mikado locomotive still in use on the Skunk Train. <laughs> no explanation of what the skunk train (laughs) is.
0: It's a shame there's not a link. That stinks. (laughs) Yeah, there's some funky looking trains on here, too.
1: Yeah, they didn't just make one model. As a matter of fact, it seems like they very seldomly made one train that was the same as the other one.
0: Which is kind of cool. Now, this one, the Grand Trunk (laughs) Western (laughs) Railway... (laughs) It's like the hammerhead shark of trains. Not the Grand Funk, please. (laughs) Grand Uh, Trunk (laughs) Railway. It it looks like something that would be out of Mad Max. It's very... I don't know. Brutal. It's a very brutal-looking locomotive. You know, I guess that's where the Grand Funk Railroad name came from.
1: Grand Trunk Railroad? Yeah. Could be. It's easy enough. It's a good wordplay thing, you know.
0: And that the one uh, SNCF class 141R oh that thing that is a weird looking one it's cool it's like gothic yeah
1: it's all it's black a- and red with wings on the sides i feel like this
0: would be the batmobile of trains
1: it literally is like or if- <laughs> it looks a lot like that one from the end of back to the future part 3 uh, yeah. where like he modifies it and has like the wings <laughs> and stuff like it's kind of like that yeah it says that one is now preserved in france <laughs> hmm. They made a lot of weird locomotives, too, for specific uses. Hmm. Narrow gauge, uphill, railways, and so on and so forth. Hmm. Really tiny railways like this one here for the Boston and Maine. Look at that one. The Boston and Maine Achilles. <laughs> it's adorable. Well, <Little> four-wheel joint. <laughs> Just wee tiny little engine. There's even the steam engine of theirs on display in Puerto Rico. Huh. Yeah.
0: I there's also some really cool trains down further. Like the PRR Class S2, number 6200. Oh, yeah. The CNO Class M 1, number even, 500. That's pretty sweet. Look like very streamlined and sleek.
1: That's the kind of dynamic I miss. Hmm. Like in cars, you're just starting to kind yeah. of see that again now. But like that streamlined, very like straightforward but very clean look. Mm-hmm. That art deco feel, you know. Yeah. Whew. That was a trip. Yeah. It was good. Lots of good options here. Again, most of which are trains.
0: Yeah. There's a link to Railway Gun.
1: Railway Gun?
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, that sounds huh. pretty cool. And there was another panic. Panic of 1907.
1: There's a lot of panics. Yeah. None of them are at the disco, and that's slightly disappointing. <laughs> There's a panic of 1837, 1857, 1907. We've had so many panics, it really makes me wonder, like, why did everybody get so, like, greatly depressed in, like, the 1930s? Like, it was <laughs> just kind of like, guys, we have one of these every ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Literally every ten years. Just get your chill. Can you chill?
0: We made it through the other time, we'll make it through this time.
1: Right? Do you think that would be obvious? <laughs> it ain't obvious. People have to be calmed. No.
0: You can also go to John Bull.
1: Good old John Bull. Wee little, wee little engine that could be assembled.
0: <laughs> oh, no.
1: I want to get a railway gun.
0: Because uh, that looks baller. <laughs> we're going to do that. All uh, right, going to railway gun. Ah, uh, that's cool.
1: Oh, that's a gun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah. Well, as you can guess, it is a gun that is on a railway. And it is awesome looking, as you might expect. Because
1: imagine, if you will. A railway car. A railway car is large, especially when you're talking about one from the time of steam locomotion. Now, picture this. Take away the car. Replace the entire thing with a gun. (laughs) Just the barrel of a really (laughs) large gun. And that's this.
0: (laughs) Think, like, ten times the size of a cannon.
1: If you took a cannon and you made 10 of them and put them end to end, and then put those all laid end to end and got another 30 cannons and surrounded that one 10 <laughs> cannon end to end thing you just made with the other cannons, you would have the width and the length that is a railway gun. <laughs> I think I think I've like played a boss fight in some mm. like Medal of Honor game or something where, the, the, the objective was to not get killed by the railway gun because like Hitler had some sort of big railway gun delivered uh, to his compound and he was like and as soon as somebody like got to the railway gun you weren't getting close looking after it. you weren't you weren't gonna go destroy the research or whatever you had to do to stop <laughs> the Nazis like you couldn't stop it um, so yeah yeah pretty pretty cool and I'm not wrong on that it says here <laughs> that the best known ones are from Germany and they were made in World War 1 and World War 2.
0: Mhm. And there's a really cool one uh, British 12-inch howitzers Ooh. on top of carriage traversing mounts. These things are the first picture was a gun pointed kind of in line with the track. But these are pointed beside the track. And they can just move up and down that track and keep firing out.
1: Wow. A little bit further down the page is that French one. (laughs) And uh, basically, that one's so big, it had to have a uh, recoil system developed for it. So basically, in order to counteract the firing of the gun's force on the railway the gun itself is that's one of those guns that like you'll see like retract. Oh, yeah. like, as it fires it like the barrel itself <laughs> contracts down in to absorb some of the force it's shooting out I mean it's still on the railway they're, they're, they're basically trying to make sure that when they fire that thing it doesn't push the train <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the new type of engine yeah just, just fire <laughs> like,
1: two, two birds with one stone shoot a military target get to the next place
0: <laughs> yeah boom Efficiency. <laughs> Ooh, they have a cute little uh, thirty-two pounder. It's made. It looks like it's made out of a lot of wood. Has a little tiny barrel. Aw,
1: it's weird. That one almost. That one's from the Civil War. It says. Huh. So it's like a little cannon, just like in a little. You can see I have it they have like a hole cut out. It's almost like a, it almost looks like a large on the rails game of cornhole. <laughs> Honestly, like the yeah. board, there's a board over top of a cannon and there's like a little hole cut in it, it just looks like a big cornhole board. Only in a much more grim and surely gruesome
0: situation. Yeah. Uh, yes. And there was there's one here called the Dictator. That one just looks dumb. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's like two it's feet like tall, nine, three feet wide.
0: What's going on there? <laughs> and there? There's a heading that says surviving railway guns. Oh, And no. I wish that it was a section about how to survive <laughs> a railway gun.
1: <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't think that's an option from looking at most of these things
0: yeah if they're pointed at you you are not gone. going to be alive nope <laughs> man there's this one way down at the bottom in the gallery the mk312 oh, it's just that thing. looks oh like a freaking battleship yeah on wheels
1: it's just this giant i mean you can't even see the end of the gun yeah, and the picture is just like, it's I,
0: like there's no more room. I can't. No more room I can't.
1: <laughs> I've tried. I've taken a picture of the entire train car, but the gun just keeps
0: going. Oh, there's one that looks like a weird, like military bunker on wheels too. That is the TM1180. The Russians just knew how to make some fascinating, uh,
1: fascinating railway guns. It would seem. Yeah. Don't know why that is, but <laughs> quite cool course all of these were only used up through the second world war yeah um the largest gun to be used in combat was known as the Schwerer gustav it was 80 centimeters i suppose across and uh it was deployed of course by germany the rise of the airplane effectively ended the usefulness of the railway Uh gun similarly to battleships they were massive expensive and in the correct conditions easily destroyed from the air (laughs) so unfortunately that's why there's not that many surviving railway guns because well they could use the metal for other things (laughs) and they needed to
0: yeah definitely check out one of these things sometime
1: well it says that a couple of ones are close by. There is a 12-inch railway gun preserved in Fort Lee, Virginia, and a 14-inch 50 caliber railway gun from World War I preserved in Washington, D.C.
0: Hmm. Ooh, there's another one in Fort Lee, Virginia. I us see two of them.
1: A Krupp K5, huh? Wow. Cool. May as well just go to Fort Lee, Virginia, it sounds like.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's actually a few different types of recoil systems um, for these things. One is called cradle recoil and that just means that the gun recoils backwards into its cradle like you were saying before. Mm -hmm. And then there's top carriage recoil where it's mounted on an upper carriage that moves on wheels on fixed rails.
1: So there's like a rail carriage on which There's more rails
0: Mm. On which the gun sits Yeah Okay (laughs) And Oh wait There's a little picture here Ah yeah Okay Yep That's what it is And then there's Sliding recoil Which the car body Is uh, Sitting on a set Of wooden cross beams Or sleepers Placed underneath Which have been Jacked down Onto a special set of girders incorporated into the track so that about half the weight of the mount has been transferred from to them from the trucks so they all recoil together and um yeah Then there's rolling recoil in which the entire gun mount and everything just rolls backwards restrained only by the brakes
1: that's my kind Right there <laughs> Just use Just use that force Yeah Just figure it out Before you shoot man <laughs> Easy enough Well where to go from here
0: If we can get back to railways Or To go into more War stuff Guns you can also check out that Schwerer Gustav gun
1: Now we're talking Let's do it. All okay. right. Whoa. Yep. That ammunition. exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Now this article is a little disappointing in how they do not give you a actual picture of the gun.
0: Yeah. They only give you a picture of like the ammunitions.
1: But there's a reason they don't give you a picture of the gun. It's because that to make it they had to use. A quarter of all of the world's Metal <laughs> so, <laughs> That's how big it was <laughs> It was uh, developed In the late 1930s by Krupp's Siege Artillery for destroying French forts Of course, it says the French forts were The strongest fortifications in existence So what did they do? They built the biggest gun ever Made
0: <laughs> <laughs> They built two of them
1: yeah, that's why I said they use a quarter of it instead uh, of using half of the world's metal. Because then World War II would wouldn't have made any sense, would it? <laughs> they would have used, they would have built these two, and then they would have won the war <laughs> because they would have had the only two pieces <laughs> of metal in the world. It is the largest caliber rifle weapon ever used in combat. The heaviest mobile artillery piece ever built in terms of overall weight and fired the heaviest shells of any (laughs) artillery piece. This thing is a champion. Unrivaled, unparalleled. The (laughs) epitome of brute force in war.
0: I love how... Okay, there's a picture of one of the shells and it still measures it in millimeters even though it's 800 millimeters. At that point, you can just say... It's, you know,
1: pretty big.
0: Like, that thing is about as big as a Soviet tank.
1: Yeah, 800 millimeters. That's uh, how many centimeters? That would be 80. 80 centimeters. Almost
0: a uh, decimeter. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that is one-tenth of a meter across. So that thing is... Like what? It's actually not. Well, I don't Where are they measuring this from? Is what <laughs> I want to know. Like, because no part of that looks to me like it's eight hundred millimeters. Yeah. Like, is that the is that the point? Is that the very point of of the <laughs> of the bullet? Is that what it's 800, 800 millimeters? Because honestly, looking at the size of that thing, that seems to make
0: the most sense. <laughs> yeah, that thing is huge. Yeah, the the one looks like more of a bullet and then this other one is just kind of a big fat turd just kind of sitting there. Just a big slug of metal. (laughs) Just like, hey, let's just solidify all this metal and then shove it in there.
1: Yep. Each
0: round of ammunition
1: used one-sixteenth of the world's supply of metal. (laughs) (laughs) So they first made the Shiver Gustav And then the second one that they produced They called it Dora
0: Dora the Explorer
1: Yep (laughs) Briefly deployed against Stalingrad In 1942 But it was quickly withdrawn When uh, encirclement Was threatened by the Soviets So when the Germans began their retreat They took Dora with them
0: (laughs) And Dora was broke up before the end of the war (laughs) So they basically build it, and they're like, Ha-ha, we got you now. And eh, never mind. Nope, no, we're going.
1: no, we don't need this. Never mind. <laughs> Take it apart. Take it down. Shut it down. There was also another one under construction called the Langer Gustav, but it was never completed because of various raids in the construction facility by <laughs> the British Air Force. Oh, my gosh. But they weren't done. There were plans. They had other things up their sleeve they did.
0: Land Cruiser P1500 Monster Project. Wow. (laughs) Yes. The monster was to be a 1500 ton mobile self-propelled platform for an 80 centimeter K E gun along with two 15 centimeter SFH 18 heavy howitzers and multiple MG 151 autocannons normally used on combat aircraft it was deemed impractical and in 1943 was cancelled by Albert Speer it never left the drawing board and no progress was made it would have surpassed the Panzer 8 Mouse, the heaviest tank ever built and the Land Cruiser P 1,000 rat which was never built <laughs> in weight and size
1: basically a lot of ideas they were just trying to get them off the ground they just never could yeah which seems fine because yeah basically somebody was proposing that project because they knew it was military oriented in, in a culture that might accept it And so they are just kind of like <laughs> oh, I'm just going to try and build the most obnoxious thing why don't I just make the thing that's the most overkill that thing sounds like a Metal Gear. Like, it literally yeah. sounds like something out of the Metal <laughs> Gear games.
0: And there are some interesting links in here. Under the Sea, also. Yep. We got Super Gun. Yes. <laughs> List of the largest cannon by caliber. Sweet. Sturm Tiger. <laughs> Whoa. And M65 Atomic Cannon. And Project Babylon.
1: Now that one's mysterious. That is See, mysterious. to me, that one's the one I go to because <laughs> I feel like we're on the largest gun. Mm, like, this yeah, might be it. Pretty sure. If we got to a point where the Germans, where the Nazis thought it was impractical, <laughs> you're probably at the end of your rope. Yeah. So, mm, shall we'll we? don't have any merits,
0: But yeah, let's, let's jump over to Project Babylon.
1: Project Babylon. Whoa. Ooh. What? 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 (laughs) Okay. I guess I just have to start reading because some of this is just too ridiculous already. Project Babylon was a project with unknown objectives commissioned by then-Iraqi President Saddam Hussein to build a series of quote-unquote super guns. (laughs) The design was based on research from the 1960s Project Harp, led by the Canadian artillery expert Gerald Bull. There were most likely four different devices in, Pro- in Project Babylon. The project began in 1988 and it was halted in 1990 after Gerald Bull was assassinated. Parts of these superguns were seized in transit around Europe. The components that remained in Iraq were destroyed by the United Nations after the 1991 Gulf War.
0: Hmm. The first uh, super gun was called Baby Babylon, and it was a horizontally mounted device, which was simply a prototype for test purposes. had a bore of 350 millimeters, which is uh, less than half of the size of that other one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for real. And a barrel length of 46 meters and it weighed 102 tons and after testing after conducting tests with lead, lead projectiles this gun was set up on a hillside at a 45 degree angle it was expected to achieve a range of 750 kilometers although its mass was similar to some World War II German superguns, it was not designed to be a mobile weapon and therefore it was not considered a security risk by Israel okay <laughs>
1: But then, there was the second super gun, Big Babylon! <laughs> of which a pair were planned, one to be mounted horizontally, at least for test purposes, and this one was, of course, much larger. The barrel was to be 156 meters or 512 feet long, with a bore of one meter. There we go. That one! <laughs> that one's bigger. Alright. That's a little bigger, yeah. Yeah. Originally intended to be suspended by cables from a steel <laughs> framework, it would have been over one hundred meters high at the tip. Uh, the complete device weighed about two thousand one hundred tons. The barrel alone was one thousand six hundred and fifty-five tons. Tons oh, here we
0: go. It was a space gun
1: <laughs> intended to shoot projectiles into orbit, a theme of Bull's work since Project Harp. Oh,
0: this man. is something
1: straight out of a Metal Gear game. <laughs> like launching things into space from a gun uh, neither of these devices could be elevated or trained making them useless for direct military purposes unless some form of terminal guidance could be used to direct the fired projectile <laughs> into its, direct, its intended target
0: so basically they couldn't actually aim this thing right so it's just like Hey, let's shoot some stuff. Let's shoot things into let's, space. Let's just shoot and see what happens.
1: Let's just see if we can put a guy into space by launching him out of a gun.
0: No, that's not a bad idea. No, well, might, and it's a bad idea. It's but a it's, terrible it's, idea. <laughs> it's a when, fun idea. He's not going to come back.
1: It's just going to go into space. It's just going to keep going. Like well, he'll, as he'll long go as out. there's
0: somebody else up there. As long as... So what, catch some...
1: him? Yeah. <laughs> he's moving at the speed of a bullet through space. There's no... Like, he's not going to slow down. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> if he breaks the heavens, he's just going to be like, woo!
0: put a guy in space, space suit, launch him up. and It's like gravity, put, oh, just without the horrifying part. Him, it's just terrifying the entire way through. You put him in a little pod. Yeah. Instead of a bullet. Okay. You have a hollow pod, and he's just sitting in. Maybe have some rudimentary controls where he can at least adjust his angle. Yeah. Shoot him up into space by a gun, and then there you go. In no made for crazy combustion engine... Antics, Mm.
1: Maybe maybe Gerald Bull was onto something there. Could be. I mean, honestly, if the bore of the normal ammo for this thing is one meter, those bullets ain't light. Yeah. So I wouldn't see there being a problem. Like, uh, shooting a man out of that thing should be lighter than most of the things you would have normally been firing from it. (laughs) If you can shoot those into space, I don't see why you couldn't shoot a dude.
0: Yeah. And you'd know that somewhere out there, there is a ready and willing volunteer for that mission.
1: But wow. This is a crazy project. For Iraq, no less.
0: Yeah. So it was intending to launch satellites to serve as a weapon. Okay. But its ability to fire conventional projectiles in the later lateral r- would have been very limited. Um, in addition to the impossibility of aiming it it would have had a slow rate of fire and its firing would have produced a very pronounced signature which would have revealed its location. Since it was immobile, it suffered from the same vulnerability as German's V-3 cannon, which the RAF readily destroyed in Scud Bay and by, by whom? By the Iraqis. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no, I know. Uh, yeah.
1: The Royal Air Force in right. 1944 destroyed that yeah. cannon. Yeah. And Egypt? it was... No, I was just like it was just like the tone of that sentence was weird. Like it was readily destroyed by the Royal Air Force. Like okay, all right, okay, World War II vet, get out of here. Like we get it. You're you're, you're proud of your nation. We are too. We were there though. Like we helped. Just relax. It says that there were future plans to build more cannons, a very large cannon, which would be uh, capable of being elevated and trained. Were also planned. Um, One was expected to have a range of up to 625 miles uh, which <laughs> would make Israel and central Iran well within the Iraqi <laughs> artillery reach of fire yeah. So yeah, probably a good thing this was found out <laughs> about and shut down Yeah
0: But I mean, even if you could aim trying to aim at a specific target 625 miles away you'd be very lucky to hit that thing you're just gonna like
1: scare people probably far (laughs) away from what you're actually trying to hit
0: it's not like it's going to be an instantaneous hit hit. no that's going you're gonna see that coming yeah it's not like it's moving at the speed of light or anything nope The fact that it can still
1: get across land 625 (laughs) miles Before it hits the ground though That's from a gun That's okay Yeah I'm impressed I'm impressed Well There's only two possible places We can go from here Three really maybe four Okay alright here's what I'm thinking There's Gerald Bull Who was assassinated I'm going to go ahead and guess ironically by a gun <laughs> um, then there's Project Harp, which was this thing that was all about guns, mm. super guns. Then we can go to Super Guns itself, see what else is about super guns, or mm. we can cut right to the chase and just go to Space Gun.
0: Uh, yeah, I am in favor of Space Gun. Space Gun. Let's uh, just quickly touch upon the places in fiction where Project Babylon shows up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Um, This project provides the backstory for Frederick Forsyth's novel The Fist of God. And there's a movie um, on HBO called Doomsday Gun starring Frank Langella as Gerald Bull with Kevin Spacey Alan Arkin, Clive Owen in supporting roles. Sounds like an awfully good cast. Yes, it does. And we could learn more about this whole thing. And then it's also the main plot detail or the weapon is the main plot detail in The Punisher Volume 2 Comic Issue Number 47. And that's about it. So, on to Space Guns. Here we go. What exactly is going on in that picture?
1: I don't know. <laughs> there's
0: there's quite a bit. That doesn't look like a gun. Where is that? Is Why? that in space? Is, is that, it, that it underwater? Looks like the, <laughs> it looks
1: like it's <laughs> either. <laughs> Man, I don't even know. It's the quick launcher space gun.
0: There's a link to quick launcher so... We could always check it out if we... we get there. It's also called the Vern Gun, the space gun. Because it appears in From Earth to the Moon by Jules Verne. So because
1: of science fiction, (laughs) this has come to fruition. Yep. Also because it is a good way to get to space without using rockets.
0: Right. Hmm.
1: While these have been purported to be able to launch things like satellites or spacecraft beyond Earth's gravitational pull, usually the speeds required to do that in the case of a gun are too far into the hypersonic range and would cause most objects to burn up <laughs> due to aerodynamic heating or yeah. to be torn, torn apart by aerodynamic drag. Yeah. A more likely future use of space guns isn't going to be launching stuff into orbit Beyond Earth, but rather into orbit around it.
0: Hmm. Well, it does talk about Project Harp here. Uh, it, it's a 1960s joint United States and Canada defense project. A U.S. Navy 16-inch or 410 millimeter 100-caliber gun was used to fire a 180-kilogram or 400-pound projectile at 3,600 meters per second or 12,960 kilometers per hour reaching an apogee of 180 kilometers or 110 miles and then performing a suborbital spaceflight. Space gun has never been successfully used to launch an object into orbit or out of Earth's gravitational pull.
1: Oh, okay. Well, here's an issue. Remember how we were talking about the whole human launch thing? Yeah. Well, there's a problem in that the g forces would kill you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess that's true. That,
1: that would that would do it. That yeah. would bring your life to a screeching halt. Yeah. Um, incapable of safely launching humans or delicate instruments, the space gun would be restricted to freight.
0: Uh, okay. So, a space gun by itself cannot place objects into a stable orbit um, because the laws of two-body gravitation make it impossible to reach a stable orbit without an active payload which performs orbital correction burns or tether momentum exchange to change the shape of its orbit after launch. Which kind of makes sense because kind of need to turn a little bit so that you start traveling around instead of just shooting straight up and then keeping on and somehow just like walking in, yeah, being like, "Okay, in orbit now." (laughs) It's not just gonna pull you into orbit, you know. Otherwise, you're just gonna shoot out into space and keep on going
1: says that in a three-body or larger system, however, a gravity assist trajectory might be available such that a carefully aimed escape velocity projectile would have its trajectory modified by the gravitational fields of other bodies in the system such that the projectile would eventually return to orbit in the initial planet using only the launch delta V. So, I suppose if you launched two things, it would be possible to theoretically get something into orbit that way without having to have a payload or some sort of fuel source on board. You could just use a little jiggle in the gravitational pull of things Mm. to to get it back to where it needed to be. It says that outside of the one that we already discussed, there were several attempts, practical attempts, made to create a space gun. First of which being the V3 cannon, which I think we briefly mentioned in the last article, uh, which was the Germans' attempt at a space gun, sort of. In World War II
0: But it was Destroyed by RAF bombing Destroyed readily
1: By RAF bombing (laughs) Readily
0: destroyed
1: Readily destroyed Lest we not forget
0: (laughs) Destroyed with a Leisurely ease
1: And a cup of tea and some biscuits (laughs) Or crumpets I don't know whatever Some carbohydrate Who cares Taking out a gun. <laughs> Come on.
0: Yep. They do mention Project Babylon, and I guess after uh, Gerald Bull's attempt to make the space gun, um, hasn't really been a whole lot of attempts since then.
1: Yeah, it doesn't look like it. There was a super high altitude research problem. Sharp. A- after yeah, sharp. Really good acronym. Yeah, gotta give them credit where they where credits due. Uh, that was done in the late 1980s. Developed at the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, it is a light gas gun. It can fire objects at Mach nine. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh-oh. Well. Okay. If the podcast suddenly ends, it's a cat's fault. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Retcon an intro or exit outro <laughs> thing in later, I suppose, if we need to.
0: She probably won't step on the keyboard.
1: Mm-hmm. Might tear my mic out of the uh, <laughs> out of the mixer, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. So, eventually, though, sharp got dull <laughs> and had to abandon it. <laughs>
0: So, the lead developer, John Hunter, founded the Jules Verne Launcher Company (laughs) in 1996. All right. And the Quick Launch Company. So, as of 2012, Quick Launch was seeking to raise $500 million to build a gun that could refuel a propellant depot or send bulk materials into space
1: says that they're also thinking about using uh, RAM accelerators uh, like coil guns or rail guns in order to accelerate the payload instead of using light gas guns, which Hmm. may result in faster launches from space guns. Now, that is a Kickstarter I could get behind. (laughs) I want to see that happen. You probably can't use Kickstarter for military applications, though. That might get dangerous.
0: Probably. (laughs) I don't know what the rewards would be on something like that, though.
1: Probably be offering to blow up a certain target, <laughs> offering to shoot your grandmother's remains into space. <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure. Like, there's only so many services that can be yeah. provided by a really, really fast gun,
0: or maybe um, a uh, one. One thousand scale model of the gun. That could be That'd be cool, I think. Limited edition,
1: have a little plaque on it.
0: Yeah. All right, well, that's actually uh, about time for this episode. Yeah. Guess you want a quick launch into the quick launcher space gun and see what the heck is up with that thing. Let's see if it's actually doing anything. Let's just anything. bounce over. Let's, let's not, just do it. Let's, let's, let's do not do a not thorough,
1: a... yeah. It's a fun, quick, yeah. Says it uses hydrogen as the working gas and natural gas as the explosive heat source.
0: Okay. Doesn't really shed light on the picture though. So that is one confusing picture.
1: Is it above ground? Is it <laughs> underneath water? Is, is it...
0: it in space orbiting the Earth? Is
1: it floating? Is it? Is it flying? Is Which... it
0: even a gun? Because it's all just wires and. Rods. It looks
1: more like an airship. What is going on? I don't know. Projected dollar cost per pound to orbit was
0: $500.
1: <laughs> just so
0: you know. All right, and back to Space Guns. Okay. So we're going end on Space Gun. Yes,
1: because <laughs> Space Gun is a great, great title for an episode. From a steam locomotive to a space gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. The best.
0: <laughs> From St. Louis... San Francisco Railway 1630 to Space Gun. Space Gun. So, yeah. Please visit facebook.com slash Give us a like and follow. Head over to iTunes and rate and review us. And you can also find new episodes on our website, twc.erictoribio.com. I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Clarence Williams for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Man, we have, I mean, wow,
1: the topics the last two times, they've just been <laughs> war all the time. Yeah, and We had just a bunch of huge guns. <laughs> it's coming a Real Man podcast up in here. Yeah. Yeah. The man's podcast. Oh, oh, oh! Next, next podcast we're talking about. We're going from hard. We're going from hardware to home improvement the TV show. That's it. That's the whole show. It'll be literally just, two weeks. Stop it! Because we'll start out with hardware, and it'll be like in pop culture, home improvement, and then we'll just go there,
0: and we'll just that'll be the whole thing. Recite the every episode synopsis from Home Improvement.
1: Just play various media links. Uh, I wonder if Tim. I wonder if Tim the Toolman's Taylor, like. Huh? I wonder if his signature noise has its own Wikipedia mm. article. That'd be good. That would be good. Yeah. Like, that should be a thing. Might yeah. go home and make that the so that we can deliberately. The Tim, grunt, <laughs> the, Tim grunt. the Tim Grunt. The Tim Grunt was used in the 90s sitcom Home Improvement, trademarked by Tim Allen.
0: <laughs> it would appear in various films that he also appeared in
1: before eventually becoming repopularized by the internet as a meme. (laughs) In meme culture, the Tim Grunt has been used in various applications such as music, slowed down 1,000th time videos, and various forms of Rickroll.